Hey, YouTube theologians, welcome back to the Q&A. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with Pastor Andy Packer of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Shanahan, Hawaii. Uh, we're answering your questions. So more good ones today. What do we got, Pastor Packer? Is there a Shanahan, Hawaii? That doesn't even sound like a Hawaii name. Sounds Shanahan. Like a Shanahan. Okay. Um, from Montana, uh, Pastor's actually asking a, a question that a confirmation student of his has. Oh, good. If Jesus died for all my sins and in my baptism, he forgave all my sins, even my future sins, why is he forgiving them again in absolution? Do I need to be forgiven over and over again of the sins he already forgave? This is in response to your absolution is the gospel video. Well, I, so it's a, always the word need is a really, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Like if I, if I sin today, and I don't go and confess that sin, and then I get hit by a truck. Did I did I lose my salvation? Well, no. We we live under the uh, umbrella of the Lord's righteousness and justification, and it's one of our great uh, doctrines against contra Rome, which says that baptism forgives all past sins, but now all future sins are dealt with through the sacrament of penance or whatever. We reject that, and we understand that baptism it covers past sins and future sins that we we are we are just we're adopted into god's family that state of justification means that we belong to the lord and he belongs to us so we don't want to think of it like i i i sin and i'm unsaved until i go to church and hear forgiveness and then i'm saved again or something like this uh so so it's not a necessity like that but we also don't want to think of it as if the absolution or the preaching of the gospel or going to the Lord's Supper where the Lord Jesus says, this is poured out, this blood is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this often as if it's a sham forgiveness or a, just a reminder of our forgiveness and not a true forgiveness. We want to confess and hold fast to this confidence that the scripture gives us, that the absolution is an absolution. It's a, it's a true forgiveness. It's, it's more than a symbol or a sign. It's, a, it's, that, it's the gift of the Lord's mercy. We want to walk between those two things of rejoicing in the in the Lord's word as true forgiveness, but not thinking that it's you, you know this thing like it's like, like some sort of tightrope. Like I'm I'm walking on the the balance beam of the righteousness of God, and every time I fall off, I have to be propped back up with the absolution. Uh, I, so I suppose the reason why the Lord is so abundantly rich with the gospel is that He is not interested in the the minimum requirements for salvation like um i, I think there's a i i've been trying to figure how how to say this let me i'll try and see you can you can improve on this that because the bible excludes works from salvation because our own efforts are who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into hell to bring christ up no the word is near to you this is the, the righteousness of the law is the doing righteousness, but the righteousness of the gospel is the righteousness of faith. So because our works are excluded from salvation, we, we take that to be like, like what is the minimum requirement for salvation? Like what, what is the least thing that has to be done for us to be saved? And Jesus is just not interested in that. He's not going to give us the minimum amount of grace and forgiveness and mercy he's he he comes to us over and over again with this lavishness of his grace so that even in the sir in the divine service he he 
he starts by forgiving our sins. Then he continues by forgiving our sins. Then he finishes by forgiving our sins. And then he even gives us a blessing of mercy. At the end, it's just, he's not interested in the minimum requirement. And, and so the absolution comes as a forgiveness of sins that are already forgiven? Yeah, I think so. I mean, but th- that's the whole point. I mean, baptism washes away sins that are already forgiven by the cross. And it brings that it brings that work of the cross straight to the conscience where the devil is constantly trying to argue that that we belong to him or we belong to sin or we belong to death. The absolution constantly comes into the courtroom of the conscience and acquits us and and there and overthrows the devil's argument there. So I don't know if that if that's helpful. I, what do you think about that idea of that minimum requirement for salvation? How that sticks to us as grace alone? Yeah, the way, the way I've heard it talked about is it's um, it's it's a very much a law question, right? Like how much forgiveness is enough? Like trying to to parse out the law, like what does the law require, and if I get just that enough, right, then I'm good. Or or even almost trying to turn the gospel into some kind of legalism. Um, you, you reference it several times, but I'll just read it. You, you kind of alluded to it like three or four times. Um, article four, part three, article four of the small college articles. We will return now to the gospel, which not merely in one way gives us counsel and aid against sin. For God is super abundantly rich and liberal in his grace and goodness. First, through the spoken word by which he for, the forgiveness of sins is preached in the whole world, which is a peculiar office of the gospel. Secondly, through baptism. Thirdly, through the sacrament of the altar. Fourthly, through the power of the keys. And also through the mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren. Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together, etc. Um, so even as you said in the divine service, God keeps giving us his forgiveness. And I think part of that too is, right, like faith is always present tense. We're always believing present tense now. Um, and as, as I've heard it said many times, every time the absolution's proclaimed and we believe it um we're really just returning to our baptism right like we're we're returning to that which is given in our baptism every time that happens so they're not separate from one another they, they all work together in a really beautiful way but god just gives us more than we can ever think or imagine in, in his forgiveness and grace he just overwhelms us with it again and again and again like people ask me well why do i need forgiveness beginning of the divine service like then again in the readings and then again when the Word is preached, and then again, the Lord's Supper, and it's like, why do you think you don't? <laughs> why would you not want it if it's given there? Like, it's it's the wrong question. It really is. Like, instead of asking why do I need this, as you said, like this idea of necessity, why, why not just say, wow, God's amazing. He gives me forgiveness in like four or five different ways, even in the divine service. Right. How fantastic is that? This is mind blowing. I should just I, delight I, in it and receive it. I, and that, so just thinking about the question, it's a, it's a. This is really important, actually, to kind of, you're, we're shifting our minds from, it, it, uh, it, could you imagine someone that's like, I don't know, they're thinking, well, what's the minimum amount of calories I need to stay alive, right? And then they every day eat, I don't know, 605 calories of powder, you know, and, uh, and like, well, that's the, that keeps me alive. That's what gives me life. And the, and the Lord is like, look, uh. I'm inviting you on a cruise ship. <laughs> it's like he's not interested in the minimum calories to keep us alive. He he 
he like it like the word there in in small call that Luther uses is super abundant, mm-hmm. and so the gospel grace alone is not a is not a reductionistic thought. That I, I think that's maybe the it, it's it's a maximalizing thought, and it's not. I remember this joke about the German couple. Remember, and uh, the wife asks, um, "Do you love me?" They've been married for fifty years. Do you love me? And he says, of course I love you. Why would you ask that question? And she says, well, because you never tell me that you love me. <laughs> and he says, well, I told you when we got married, and I'll let you know if anything changes. <laughs> this is not, the Lord is not that way. He, his mercy is there, and that, and that mercy in the, your sins are forgiven. That, that, that's a true gift of, of his divine mercy and kindness. So it's great. I've heard a similar related story about an old married couple because all of these analogies deal with old married couples, right? But um, the the <laughs> wife the wife tells the husband that as they're driving down the road um, in, in in his old truck, like, "Why is it you don't sit next to me anymore?" And he says, "Well, I've haven't moved. You're the one who scooted scooted away, right?" And I've I've used that as an you know an example about talking about the promise made in our baptism that um. It's not the Lord who's moved away from us. We're, if anything, we're the ones moving away from him. Like he's still there with his promise. Like you just need to return to the, the promise. He hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't yeah. like taken it back. It's there. You just need to go back to it. But good. All right. Ready for the next one? Sure. Um, this is um, someone watched a video of an, an ELCA pastor. So, you know. Beware. That's where we're headed. Yes, that's where we're headed. Um, basically, the question is that uh, they pit Jesus against Paul, right? So oh, Jesus yeah, yeah, yeah. has a Christianity of love, and then Paul, mean old Paul, misogynist Paul comes in, and he, he made up something different. And they want to know, how do you refute this idea that Paul destroyed Christianity, this Christianity of I guess kind of, you know, free love, Jesus okay with whatever you do versus mean old Paul who comes in and messes all of that up. Right. Yeah, I it, it's this this might be easier in the specifics than in generalities. Um because it, it would it'd be nice to say, well, where does Paul teach something different than Christ or where does Jesus teach something different than Paul? Um, and to be able to answer the specifics, I think in abstraction, I, it's a big question to get your head around. It, may, maybe the place to start is this: when, when we read the Gospels, and maybe they would even say, "Well, the Gospel writers have a different doctrine than Jesus, right?" So Matthew had his own agenda that was different yeah. than Jesus, and then Paul had his own agenda. So who knows if they they might set Matthew against Jesus? Who well, knows? Isn't that how we got the Jesus seminar, right? Like they didn't like what. They wanted to determine what Jesus really said, right? So they'd vote on it with what is was it like Black Rocks or whatever it was, some weird thing. They would right. vote on what Jesus actually said because they didn't like some of the things he said. I mean, that's where you always end up when you start right. pitting scripture against scripture. You become the judge of what what I like is what Jesus believed in true Christianity, and what I don't like is whatever they say that I don't like, and you just yeah. start cutting things out. Um, but- Maybe if we could, so so let's just start with the question: Did Jesus rise from the dead? Right. So if because Paul 
speaks of the resurrection, and the gospel writers speak of the resurrection. So, and Jesus speaks of his own resurrection over and over again. So, if we could just start with that fact, and then, and you know, maybe a nice place to go would be John twenty, where Jesus, his first sermon when he's risen from the dead to his disciples, um, is go and uh, forgive sins. Whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whoever sins you bind, they're bound. And to start with that doctrine, the doctrine that, that Jesus sends out his Christians to forgive and bind sins, and to see if that's not exactly what Paul was doing in his preaching, uh, forgiving sins and binding sins. Because it seems to me like the big problem with the ELCA is that they just don't want to have sins. And the reason why they don't like Paul is because there's things like rules and assertions. <laughs> and if it could all just be sort of cuddly, and if we could just get Jesus more cuddly, then then we could all be happy. But but the death and resurrection of Jesus is his refusal to be cuddly. It's it's his assertion that there's something wrong with me that requires his suffering. Now that doctrine, by the way, of the atonement is the ELCA and liberal progressive theology, or let's just say it this way liberal re, the liberal religion that has replaced christianity in these churches does not believe in the atonement they do not believe that the wrath of god for sinners was poured out on christ so what do they do with the death and resurrection of jesus is i mean who knows it's it's the example of what happens if you're if you go to the riot you know to the social justice riot and the and the meanies get a hold of you. <laughs> so Jesus is now the hero of of standing up for diversity or whatever. It's they, whatever they do with the cross. It's not because I deserve hell. So sin and hell and God's wrath and the atonement, all these things are cast out by liberal theology. But Jesus seems to think that his death is important. Uh, John the Baptist, his first sermon is this similar theme. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus sort of said, no, John, that's old-fashioned religion. Look, I'm here to bring the age of Aquarius or whatever. Who knows? But he did not. He is the Lamb of God who goes to take away the sin of the world. So, so that chief doctrine of the atonement is the central doctrine of, of Jesus' death and resurrection, of his own teaching and understanding of himself, of the understanding of the apostles and of the preaching of St. Paul. And that if, if we don't have that through line, then we don't have the New Testament. And also, if we don't have that through line, we don't have Christianity. We have a different religion, which is kind of important for us to get our head around. This was the assertion of that Sparkle Creed review we did a few, mm. or did a few weeks, maybe a couple months ago now. That, and, and this comes from the old Macon um, book, Christianity and Liberalism, that that progressive Christianity is not Christianity. It's a totally different religion, different scripture, different creation, different God, different salvation, different understanding of the law and sin and revelation and the Holy Spirit. Everything is different. It's a, to it's a different religion that is acting like it's Christianity. Uh, so that would be one of the marks is to say that Jesus, I mean, right? Because they would say, if Paul and Jesus are in disagreement with one another, like, well, we agree with Jesus, you agree with Paul, so you're Paulists and we're Christists, we have a different religion. And we say, well, we agree with you, that you we have a different religion. 
yours is just wrong. It's not yours is not the the faith taught by the scriptures, by the prophets and apostles. Uh, I think Machen, when he wrote that, I think it was wasn't it the nineteen twenties when he wrote Liberalism and Christianity. So I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like this is anything new. But as you were talking, I was thinking about two things. One is they, they define love, the love of Jesus, uh, in a very, as you said, kind of warm and squishy, very abstract. Whereas Jesus's love is bound up, as you said, with the atonements and suffering the wrath of God for sins. So you can't separate when you talk about the love of Jesus and the love of Jesus for others. It can't be separated from the atonement because that's usually what he's in reference to. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave right. his only begotten son to do what? To, to die um, in our place for our sins. And the second thing with that is if, if you start saying, well, Paul's mean, he says these things are sins, but we don't believe in any of that. Then I can't remember who said it because um, I'm not an original thinker ever. So I got this from someone, but I don't remember who. But that the moment you start saying these things aren't sins, then you've robbed that person of the forgiveness of sins. Because if right. it's not a sin, Jesus didn't die for it. And so if it's not a sin and Jesus didn't die for it, then you cannot be forgiven for it, which means the atonement again, it comes back to the atonement is nothing. It didn't mm-hmm. do anything for you. So mm-hmm. what, what good does it do? So defining love so abstractly or, or just as kind of like be nice um, is not what Christianity teaches. It is an entirely different religion to just say Paul's mean because he says these things are sin and he talks about the death of Jesus and the wrath of God. And Jesus was just warm and fuzzy hippie Jesus or whatever you want to make him. Um, you can't get that from the New Testament. Nothing Jesus says about his own love for us or how to love others makes any sense apart from the death of him on a cross for sins, bearing the wrath of God for our sins and actually being able to define those sins um, as something specific versus just be nice. Um, You weren't nice. So you sinned. There's this, I I think one of the things with um, progressive Christianity is it always wants sin to be out there, like the systemic sin. So it's preaching Mm. the law, but it's always there. And, and it's not in here. So, like, they see the preaching of Jesus against the Pharisees not as a condemning of the fleshly pride, which all of us have, but rather as the religious system out there. And I'm getting tired of that, by the way. Like, how how evangelicals love this and progressive Christians love this to talk about how Jesus railed on the Pharisees. But you know why he railed on the Pharisees? Because he loved them and because he was trying to rescue them from their false doctrine as well. And... And we see that love of Christ for the Pharisees. Like in the parable of the prodigal son, that whole deal is to try to draw the Pharisees into the joy of God's working of salvation. And so um, so this idea that it's always out there, the sin is always out there in whatever, in the patriarchy or in the oppressive whatever. or It's true sin's out there, that's the world, but it's most especially true that sin is in here. And, uh, and the... How do, what's that great line from Solzhenitsyn? The 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 line between good and evil runs through every human heart. We gotta we gotta realize that that we also are sinners, and Christ came to die for sinners, uh, who were the foremost. So, I mean, the irony is, of course, right? That is there anything more self righteous than someone declaring that everyone else is a Pharisee because they're part of some kind of religious system, right. but you're not. You're not. So you're better than them. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, they, don't, they don't even realize what they're doing because, right. because they don't see it in themselves. As you said, they see it 
outside out there, not not in their own hearts. Yep. Um, this next one's, um, I think, in some ways, just a a little tougher. Um, someone wrote in um, saying they have an abusive father, um, physically and mentally abusive against them, their siblings, their mother, drove most of the family away, and so it, they're struggling with how, how do I keep the fourth commandment um, when I have an abusive father. Um, also that they want to, they're thinking about changing their last name to their mother's maiden name because they, they don't want to, um, be associated with him. Um, and so that's, that's where they're feeling guilty in their conscience right now is that they feel like if they change their name, that would be, uh, not honoring his father, but how does he, so there's that specific issue. But then more generally, how does someone with an abusive parent um, uh, do that? Um, so that's, that's so, his question. Yeah. This is very difficult. So, and sorry, and may God give you wisdom and courage. We, um, we talked to, maybe let me bridge the last question and this question and then explore it a little bit that way. You talked about how with Jesus, love is very defined. It's not this abstract sort of thing. And I think that's right. I, I have a list of the five things that give shape to our love. So we have this question every day. Uh, we're sent out to love God and love the neighbor. And we say, well, what does it look like? I'm, I'm looking outside, like looking around for my neighbors to see if they're there. So I got to say, how, how do I go and, and love them? And our love for the neighbor takes on different and unique shapes. My love for my kids is different than my love for the people that live across the street. And my love for those people across the street is different for the love that I have for my parishioners. And I have four or five visits today, or a couple of visits anyways, and my my love for each one of the people that I visit is different depending on where they are. So here's, I think, the five things that give shape to our love. Number one, the Ten Commandments. That reigns us in. Here's what's good and here's what's evil. The second is our vocation. And how do I relate to someone according to their vocation? Am I a husband or a father or a pastor or a friend or a neighbor? That also gives shape to my, to my love. The third uh, constraint is my neighbor's need. Here we get to the, and this can sometimes be escalated in case of emergency, like the Good Samaritan. But what does my neighbor need from me? That compels me. The fourth is, what am I good at? And I think this is very helpful when we're asking, like, what should I do with my life? What should my career be? What should I study in school? What am I good at? What do I like? That sort of thing. That factors in, but it's way down the list. And then there's a fifth thing, and this is really where the question is getting. What is my neighbor's sin? So there's a way that my neighbor's sin, sinful actions, sinful thoughts, sinful life, or whatever, actually has a constraining or defining influence on my love. For example, if my relative invites me to come to their marriage, their gay marriage, I can't, I can't, that, that sinful activity puts a constraint on my love. So what I would normally do in that circumstance is now constrained by the sinful activity of my neighbor. And the same thing is there with an abusive father or an abusive parent is that their sinfulness reshapes my love. So we're called to honor our father and mother. We're called to love our neighbor. 
And that command is never rescinded. But the sinfulness of our neighbor will sometimes reshape what that love looks like. So honoring father and mother, or honoring father when I have an abusive father, I, I, that the, the command to honor is not rescinded, but my honor might not look like actually ever being in the same place where he is. My honor might be honor from a great distance. Uh, my honor might be, uh, and I'm gonna, and I carry that honor with great difficulty because all of the norm, because of his sinfulness, all of the normal ways of honoring my father have been stolen from me by his sin. Um, I can't honor the fact that he protects me as a father should, because he doesn't. He abuses, and he is it, it's the opposite. I can't honor the fact that he blesses me because he doesn't. He takes blessings away from me. So all the normal ways of honoring are stolen. And now we're in a kind of a, in this difficult thing of saying, well, what does honor now look like? I'm going to throw one more thing in there and then maybe make a soft conclusion and toss it over to you. When Luther uh, gives us the command to honor our father and mother, he says it's not because they are in fact honorable, but because God commanded it and because God gives them to us as as father and mother so that it is from my father and from my mother that I come. And so I honor them as the tools that God used to bring me into this world. So I'm honoring them not because of their honorability, but because of the command of God. And I think because of that, this honor often looks like a prayer that says, Lord, you've given me this father. You've given me this dishonorable father. And you've commanded me to honor him. And I do not know what that looks like. I don't know how to do it. So I, my, o- my only help and refuge is you, you're going to have to help me to sort out what honoring looks like. And, um, and to, to simply, I don't know if the word, right word is blame, but to, to know that the, it's the Lord who's put you in this situation and whenever he puts us in these situations, he always promises to help. So he's teaching you to pray and to suffer because the, because it's it's almost impossible to figure out what, what this looks like. So uh, this, there's a few initial thoughts at least. So Pastor Packer, what do you think? Well, as you know, I'm someone who's had to personally deal with this, not not because my father necessarily was abusive personally to, to me in the ways described in the thing, but as you know, my, my dad's in prison um, and I had to go back to the town um, as he's, you know, being arrested and stuff. And I had to bear my last name going everywhere, knowing that everyone knows that my dad's going to prison for some really awful stuff. And uh, it is a shameful thing. I, I get that. I get wishing you had a different last name um, and wondering, should I, should I not have this name? Because it's associated with all this wicked stuff. Um so I understand the, sh- the shame of that and having to bear that. One, one thing my, my brother and I kind of decided on um, and what I tried to encourage him with was um, even though we have the same last name as someone who's done these awful things and he's our, our dad doesn't mean we can't work to, to bring a different, you know, a different relationship to that name. Though when people hear it, they don't think about that, but think about instead, you know, my kids don't have to associate that name with the, the sins of their grandfather, you know. Um, things like that. So uh, I get that. And he may end up at a different uh, conclusion. I don't think he'd be 
be wrong necessarily to do that. Um, but that's, that's how we kind of worked through that. Um, also, uh, you know, a mutual friend of ours had told me one time, cause I was asking him like, how, how do I, as a pastor, I'm asking him like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to have much of a relationship at this point. Um, what do I do? And, you know, he still reaches out to me, he still emails me, et cetera. And he said, well, he's still your dad, you know, kind of like you were saying at the end. So those are prayers I've wrestled with. Like, how do I honor someone who, who I don't feel is very much worthy of, of honor, who, who I don't believe, um, you know, deserves, uh, the honor that I'm commanded to give. Um, and so I've had to work through that myself. Um, and as you said, I mean, the, the relationship looks entirely different. I mean, he's in prison, so that obviously changes the relationship, but also like, it's, it's just not the same and it can't be, um, because of what's happened. So I, I've had to, to find ways to do what I believe is, is in keeping with the fourth commandment, but is also, um, much different than it would have been <laughs> had the situation never come up. Like, as you said, that the sins, the sins involved there <clears throat> do give shape to how love is shown. Um, and it's, it's not easy. And, and I don't think in regard to the specific questions, um, we don't know all the details. So I don't think we can give like real concrete, like, I, I think your five points are, are wonderful, but then how does he apply those is going to look different for each person that's going through it because not any of us are, are going through the exact same thing with that issue. Uh, okay. So my situation uh, with, with, a, with a father in prison for sins against others is going to look different than his situation where the sins are very directly against him. Um, now, now in some ways I could argue that the sins of my father were against me and my family, um, but it's still different. And, and I think the shape of that love is going to look different for, for different people involved in, in these kind of situations, but it's, um, all of that to say, it's it's not easy. Um, even if you're, <laughs> even if you're an ordained pastor, having to, to to learn how to do these things, it's it's not easy. It's something you're going to wrestle with, um, and so do the best you can and leave it in God's hands. It's, yeah. it's messy. Um, yeah. Living in the fallen sinful world is messy, and we do the best we can and uh, strive to do what God commanded according to to what we're able to do. So, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, we, and we rejoice in the Lord's mercy all the way through because we're going to, I mean, sometimes there's just no, sometimes we're in a situation where there's actually no good work to be done. Um, and and this is this is the result, again, of that fifth point of our neighbor's sin is puts us in such a place where there's no, there's, no matter what happens, there's going to be, there's going to be sin. Like the, you imagine the... Um, the, remember the midwives who were commanded to kill the the Israelite babies? It's like it's going to be a fifth commandment thing or a seventh or an eighth commandment thing. It's you know one of the a commandments is going to be broken here, and when they're just put against each other like this, and there are there are times in life where it's just I got I'm looking for the least bad choice of this, and sometimes our neighbor's sinfulness put us in that precarious situation, and the devil loves to put us in that situation. So we we rejoice in the Lord's mercy. Um, we we rejoice that He's He's with us through all of this, and that He carries us through. So, I mean, it goes back to the very first thing we discussed, right? Which is we're living in that forgiveness, and so um, we. I don't <clears throat> in these kind of situations where it is so messy. I don't think we have to have the pressure to to think. Well, I'm going to do this perfectly. Like I'm just going to ace 
<laughs> I don't get this all the way right because there's so many emotions bound up with it. There's so much sin in our own hearts bound up with it and, and anger and frustration and, and other things that um, you, you just have to to go forward and do what you can the best you can, relying on God's mercy and forgiveness to to pull you through as, as you strive to to do what you can given the situation. So it's never going to be it's never going to be a, a straightforward, easy path. Um, but with the Lord's mercy and grace, you can work your way through it and yep. uh, come out yeah, the other talk side. To make sure you talk to your pastor too, and and that's maybe a good reminder that you know Pastor Packer and I answering questions are not we're not pastors of the internet. So every every Christian needs a pastor. Every Christian needs a church and a pastor. So hopefully you have a, a good pastor, good faithful pastor to talk to about this. If you don't, if you're by the way listening and you don't have a church and a pastor, if you go to wolfmiller.co there's a button find a church and you can send us just your zip code and we have a little team here at St. Paul uh, in Austin that will look for the best churches we can find closest to you and 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 send you a list and and help you along there so if you if you don't have a pastor to talk to uh, or you don't have a church uh, family then that's a great resource and a good reminder that we're trying to live uh, together in the midst of all this stuff, and we got to lean on each other too. So, yeah, in, in that regard too, th there'll be times I, I email someone back and say, "I can't really answer that question. You just need to go straight to your pastor with that." Um, and I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. It's just that there are certain things that we can answer in this kind of format, or I can answer through email. That's I feel is appropriate. There's other things I don't feel are appropriate, or you may get a really general response from me that says, "Based on what you've said." Here, here's how I would advise, but I don't know the other side of the story. Like yeah. I'm only, <laughs> I'm only hearing something from you. I don't know the other side of the story. And again, it's not to be mean. It's just that um, answering questions in that kind of this kind of format or via email from people I don't know, um, I'm trying to tread carefully, um, not overstep bounds, and also not not give advice based on partial information. So um, we're going to direct you back to your home pastor a lot. And if you don't have one, we'll encourage you to find one because um, nothing replaces that. So get good pastoral care. I, I always encourage my members to have a, a just a notebook that's the Ask the Pastor notebook. And once a quarter or once a half, uh, once every six months or something, let's just go have coffee and, and work through those questions. It's great. So uh, everyone should, should have that. I've got that. I have to call my pastor uh it's more than once a quarter i'm like hey what about this 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 so that's great well that that might be a great place to end unless there's another short one you want to take up no i don't think the next one's very short so i think uh, that's probably probably, we'll take probably that one up next week. So, <laughs> thanks again for listening for watching uh wolfmuther.co slash contact don't forget to sign up for wednesday whatnot the free weekly ish email that goes out each week um if you're hanging around davenport iowa this weekend august the 12th uh, i'll be there talking about uh, the martyr's faith so that'll be good but if it if you're watching after that wolfmuller.co slash events is if i'm coming around to any your neck of the woods I'm, i don't know if i've got plans to come out to hawaii to visit you pastor packer anytime soon but we'll we'll be <laughs> working on that the uh, fastest way to get to where i live in hawaii is to go to st louis and st. then go louis east then, yeah, yeah good old st yeah, louis hawaii right. and then go east into <laughs> illinois <laughs> that's right very close but thanks again for watching uh, and thanks for those questions. Uh, God's peace be with you.